Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. Okay, so for today's topic, we're going to introduce the stages of change and go over the first stage. So one of the reasons that I really like the stages of change model is because it helps us break down what really happens for people. And so often, even when I was a new therapist, I wanted to see this external change and these big, exciting changes happen with people. And as I learned about what real change looks like, I started to understand the emotional and the mental process of it. And then when I found the model of stages of change, I was able to use that to kind of move into seeing people where they were understanding what their needs were in each stage and how to help them move forward. And it became less of a power struggle and even less of a behavioral checklist. Back back when behavioral therapy was kind of the focus of working with kids and those kinds of things, it helped us move beyond that into kind of meeting the emotional and mental needs that they had. So I, I really like this model. It's not super complicated, but it can be super effective. Mm-hmm. I think it it's like you were saying, Jen, it's just really easy to apply to everyone, right? It doesn't have to be only for those who are working through this issue or only for people who this, uh, you know, symptom response works, you know, it's, it's for anyone. It's for parents, it's for children, it's for, um, you know, a student, it's for someone who is learning healthy habits. It's for someone who is just learning how to um, problem solve. It's for, you know, it's for whatever scenario, someone who's learning how to bake, right? Like you can do us like the, the different stages of change for any scenario. It is very easy to adapt it to whatever you need. It's kind of like, um, the hero's journey that we'll talk about at times too. Um, just something that is so able to be understood by multiple different backgrounds and it can be applicable to anything but we're going to talk about it with mental health because surprise we're therapists we haven't already picked up <laughs> we can explain that well enough we gotta start over well these shamans are doing real good things <laughs> so it's interesting um as we look at kind of where it comes from, Taylor, do you have background in history? I feel like I'm calling on your encyclopedia knowledge base here. It comes from the trans-theoretical model, which is Latin for the you, model. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, which is Latin for? <laughs> Haley, tell us. Fill it in. It's a dead language. <laughs> should go know where the trans-theoretical model started from, but the the overarching view of the model is that people start uh completely unaware that they have an issue or a problem people in their lives might be like this guy's got an issue uh, but the person themselves don't have any issue with it and then they might kind of feel torn between two different places and they'll maybe start thinking about changing and they'll start working on it and then they'll start maintaining those changes mm -hmm. um but this this view of change is baked into another model called motivational interviewing, which is just basically that um, 
clients aren't resistant. It's not clients that are fighting change. It's that therapists create resistance in clients, that the way that therapists respond to their clients is what actually creates resistant clients. It's the therapist's fault if someone is resistant to change. Just footnote, um, trans theoretical model, actually. Did you Google it? Was developed at the University of Rhode Island, um, which holds a special place in my heart because I used to live next door to it. Did but, you really? Yeah, I lived in Rhode Island. I went there for middle school. Oh, but just fact, a second. I'm not just interested say, I knew because everything's on the East next Coast. door. I don't know about Rhode Island. Pretty much if you're in Rhode Island, you're next to everything. Um, so it was developed. <laughs> a walk across. I know, right? It's an hour to drive across. We're good. Um, it's developed by James O. Procasca um, and Carlo D. Clemente. And yeah, they developed that in 1977. So fun fact. Um, but is it that new? It is that new. Interesting. I didn't know that. But they, yeah, they used it for a lot of peer-reviewed journals and books. But yeah, URI, there you go. Well, and again, what I really like about this is it moves it away from just a purely behavioral approach. Because again, Taylor, you were starting to talk about um, resistance, right? And clients that are resistant. So when we're just talking about, hey, why don't you change your behavior? Hey, you should change your behavior. Hey, your behavior's not working for you. That sometimes doesn't fall very well with clients. Yeah, like, um, try not being a douche. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't get a great um, response. No, not usually. Yeah. So, so one of the things that you realize is that this is, becomes a power struggle, right? Or maybe, and just because we've done so much work with kids or in relationships, one person in the relationship, the parent or the spouse says, hey, I would like this behavior to stop. Um, sometimes the law would like the behavior to stop and say, hey, we're going to put you in anger management classes or whatever. And they're like, I or don't seclude think I you. management. Yeah. Or or I don't think I have a problem. Everyone else has a problem, right? I think we've defined a power struggle in a past episode, but let's just redefine that again. Oh, we've done it a few times. Yeah, just it's a but, contest yeah. between strong emotions. It's not actually it's kind of who's, about the issue. Who's is bigger kind of a situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's emotion measuring. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, we don't have uh, to well, and, and it's all about. I love that you, yes. Haley, but I love that you said who's is bigger because it's really whose need for control is bigger. Oh yeah, because that's what creates a power struggle. Um, mm. It wasn't about anything else being bigger, but the need for control. Um, yeah. But so, I, for example, um, one of my daughters, when they learned how to unbuckle themselves from their car seat, it didn't last very long. Um, them unbuckling themselves while they were driving, because no matter how big of a rush we were in, I would just pull over, including on the side of the freeway, like, "Hey, we'll wait here as long as it takes for us to stay buckled." And I think the longest it took was fifteen minutes. We're like, "Dad, just go!" I'm like, and my wife was like, "We need to go to." I'm like, "Yeah, that's okay, but we're nipping this in the bud." <laughs> I'm gonna send Rachel more treats. She really, <laughs> she needs them. Good night, Rachel. Send yeah. your prayers and thoughts. I know. You know, a girls' maybe. weekend. Yes. Uh, but that would be the example of just not engaging in a power struggle instead yeah. of being like, no, you need to buckle. You're like, no, okay, like that's fine. And yeah. I'm just not going to drive when people aren't buckled. It's like <laughs> it's like a team inviting someone, another team onto the field and be like, we're going to play this game. And the other team's like, we weren't signed up to play and we don't want to play. And some people are like, okay, well, fine. If you're saying I have to play, I'll play the game. But people who don't engage in the power struggle go, I'm going to just walk off the field. I never signed up for this. This isn't my thing. So uh, you can keep trying to tell me I need to play, but I'm not going to, right? So it then becomes like you're, you're 
re-engaging with that innate thing of saying, okay, do I even want to be part of this or do I not? And I'm going to honor that. And so when it comes to like these stages of change, that's the first step. I mean, the first step is the pre-contemplation, right? We're looking at it. We're saying, okay, do we even want to get into this? Do I even want to change? Okay. And sometimes it can feel like a power struggle, especially if the change itself is looking like it's something that's going to be like a power struggle, but it's like, I don't even really want to be part of it. You know, there are some changes that are brought to us that we don't actually have to engage in. We don't want to. So we're not saying every stage of change is because you have to be part of it. It's just where we are in our journey. Yeah. And to bring in the trauma realm too, sometimes a behavior, because it felt so safe and right for so long, choosing to to shift into out of out of that response or choosing to do something different is really difficult. And so the process of change is not it's not simple. It is highly emotional depending on how that change got started. Um and it, I love even what Taylor was saying about his daughters cuz in the developmental state of change that they were in, right, is I'm trying to learn to have freedom. Okay, so Taylor's trying to drive and in his adult brain, he's saying driving and safety and all these things he understands. And the daughter is just like, I have power for the first time. She does. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Get out what I want. Yeah. And instead of like going into, let me rip all your power away. It was like, you do have power. Let's, and you can use it. And we're going to sit on the side of the road for 15 minutes while you figure out how to use your power appropriately. And so it's, I I love that example. Not that every time we have a power struggle, we've all done it perfectly, but it's about moving into a place where you can start to make the decision for yourself. And that goes into our first stage of change, which the term that is used in the model is called pre-contemplation, which just breaks down to before I've even thought about change. Mm -hmm. before I've even planned it out before I even thought, should I do it? I'm just looking, do I even want to enter into that realm? It's like, and like, if the, if the whole idea of changing is going through into a room where change is going to happen, I'm looking at the door and going, do I even want to open it? Do I even want to look at that? Right? Like what's, where do I want to go into this? And in some cases you don't even know, I like, I could change. There is a different way to do it. Maybe you've only ever seen it done the way that you're doing it now. It's about saying, oh my gosh, there, there's this change out there and I get to choose now whether to change or not. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of this first stage of change is this raising of awareness, right? So the first goal with pre-contemplation um, and this first stage is to raise awareness. So for example, if we go back to Taylor on the side of the road, he was raising awareness that there was a concern right? He pulled over on the side of the road and that felt concerning to his daughter and maybe even his wife. And they were like, this is wrong, you know? And he, he said, you know, but the safety that he had decided it was more safe to wait on the side of the road to get rebuckled than it was to drive with an unbuckled child in the car, you know? And Taylor probably had a research article he was repeating in his head while he was waiting for the 15 minutes or something like that. Is it true, Taylor? We were listening to an audiobook. Yeah, we were listening to Junie B. Jones. It was great. Okay. But it but it's this concept of we were just raising awareness that we couldn't move forward safely mm-hmm. until a different decision was made. And so a lot of times it's about looking at what are the consequences going on in your life that are going to move you to actually commit to this process of change. Mm-hmm. 
no, one time I unbuckled myself, or I wasn't buckled rather, and uh, went flying between the two front seats and hit my head on a radio. You know, every Just time a you lot of head injuries, I've had a new head injury. I go, you know, I thought you already had a lot, but something felt like there were more, and then I keep finding additional ones. You know. Could have cured cancer, but just two head stop injuries. sharing this with the public. <laughs> well, uh, and without going too deep into your trauma history and how you ended up in a car and without a seatbelt on and who was supervising you, I will go into this place of what you were just bringing up is that you knew from experience yeah, this yeah. wasn't a good idea. And so for you, it wasn't a matter of I'm trying to control my child. It was this, this is just something they needed to learn. And sometimes that's what happens is we work with therapists as, as therapists, we try and give them space to say, listen, I know that this can be a hard lesson and you don't see why this lesson is important, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes people come in and they're like, I want to fix my relationship or my life and I want to do it this way. And sometimes as therapists, we say, yeah, that's not going to work, mm-hmm. but that's the way I want to do it right? And I'm going to bring my spouse in. And if you could fix them, that would be really great. But I am just going to sit here and watch you fix them and or whatever it looks like. Same thing with parents and children. And as therapists, we sometimes have to say that doesn't work. And we're not saying it because we're trying to be mean. We're saying it because our experience has shown us it doesn't work. Yeah, there are a few situations where we'll say if this is the thing you want to work on, the bare minimum will need X, Y, and Z. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's and oh, I was just gonna say it's like if you're in a test kitchen, like you know, and you're trying out a recipe, and you've got someone who's like, oh, I've already combined those kinds of things together, they don't work well, right? Um, I like looking at those articles that it's like, how do you have the best version of chocolate chip cookies or this? And they they've tried all the different recipes, and they go, hey, this one when you add too much of this, this is what the cookie looks like. This is what happens with it. if you have too much salt. This is what it looks like. This is what happens to it. It's someone who's gone through all those different things. And for us, we've just seen so many examples, whether it be the ones we studied in school, the firsthand experiences in our own lives, the ones that we see in the office. Um, You're not usually the first person to come in our office with your situation. And it's not to say like your situation isn't special. It's just more like we've seen a lot of these same patterns of behavior, right? Whether they be the exact same, you know, variables that are happening, but we've seen kind of what overall it's going to look like. And so, for example, some... Some goals will require medication in mm-hmm. order to work on, and it's not because uh, there you may not like medication, and and that's okay. You don't have to like medication. Or some people they'll come in and they'll tell us their living situation. We say, hey, as long as you're in this situation, you're not going to see a lot of progress because of all the stress that's being introduced there or whatever. So when people come in, we're talking about it. We're not trying to say like. I already know it's not going to work. We usually say, hey, I'm just letting you know my experience. Seeing this kind of scenario before, there's a good chance it's not going to work if A, B, and C is still going. So and it, yeah. it's so interesting that you say that because I don't know how you often you guys actually say it's not going to work. I would say I don't, probably maybe 10% of the situations I'm that direct about your solution isn't going to work. What I try and like do is five, say, ten, yeah. Tell me a little more about what you're expecting from that and what would that look like? And, you know, so I'm, I'm using some indirectness, but I'm asking questions. This goes back to what Taylor It depends on on the situation and the client about whether it would be that direct or not. 
Journey yeah. to time I'm like when letting it comes them to someone demanding couples therapy when there's active abuse, uh, infidelity, or addiction. I forgot the third one there for a second. Um, ethically, <laughs> that comes from the fly through the seat problem. Right. That, yeah, yeah, that, mm-hmm. yep. Didn't used to have brain farts ever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely did before. Uh, well, I don't know. I was 13 months old when the first one happened. <laughs> um, but bring uh, yeah. So um, I will will refuse to do couple sessions, no matter how much they beg, plead, threaten, or demand. And like, sorry, ethically, we just can't because it will make the situation worse. Mm-hmm. Right, and and absolutely, there are things that there are boundaries. Right, we just finished our boundaries section, so we're coming into this. There are times where we'll hold on to boundaries because ethically, we know what's right and wrong, and there's a professional standard of work, and we want to do good work and not just mm-hmm. collect money and make people smile for things that won't actually help them. Right. Yeah. And with bringing it back to the whole pre-contemplation, like that's our, we, we kind of like took a little, little scenic drive over there. Um, that's our role in, as a therapist is while you're pre-contemplating, do I want to make this change? I almost want to put like, I just want to put like a sign on our front door of our therapy office and be like, you're about to enter pre-contemplation, you know, kind of thing. Like by entering, you are in pre-contemplation, you know, and it's just this idea of, you know, the minute you're even, some people's the idea of coming into therapy, just the step of, do I even want to go into a therapist's office? Do I want to schedule? That's the act of pre-contemplation. It's the idea of like, I'm foreseeing that there needs to be a change. I'm foreseeing that there needs to be something. The change hasn't happened yet. Haven't done anything yet for it. And maybe you're going because someone else yeah. is making you go, or you're doing it as a favor to someone else, but you're like, I don't have a problem. And those people, they aren't entering pre-contemplation, pre-contemplation when they come here. They're going to enter that when they start saying, do I want to do anything with this? Right. Just the act of coming to get help, whether it be here, you're going to a dietitian, you're going to a gym. If you're being told I have to go to a gym by someone, you're not entering into that change mode until you start saying, do I really want to be doing this? Do I really want to be doing this on my own? Am I doing this for myself? Like, why do I want to make a change? Right. If I'm just passively doing it correct me if I'm wrong, that's not really pre-contemplation. That's just being like, you know, a a second, you know, level character. It's not being a main character and deciding what I want for myself. So for contemplation, pre-contemplation, we're going to keep saying that word 20 more times. You really need to decide, do I want to start making this into a habit? Do I want to start making this a part of what I will do continually? That's before thinking, Mm pre-contemplation. So for example, I am very pre-contemplative about running. Really, I'm committed to some things around running, but mostly it's not doing it. To not do it. (laughs) She's like, I have gone through the stages of change to know I will never be a runner. (laughs) Maybe I'm so pre-contemplation, but I feel like there's been a this. I feel like there's been a decision made on my behalf. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's not. Okay, I'm open. One of the things that was interesting, I got a call yesterday, and you guys are probably experiencing this from somebody calling for therapy for the first time, Mm. and. It was really funny. She, this, they're this like client. doctor, and I'm like, none of us are doctors. <laughs> she makes well, it she just better. said, I said, you know, I walked through and gave her a little spiel, and she says, I need to schedule this now because if I don't schedule it, I won't do it. And I think I have several people who've reached out and like said they wanted to start therapy and didn't do it. And that's not about them being bad or wrong 
or anything else, it's because they're still in that pre-contemplation change. And one of the things I'll tell you is that when the consequences of the behavior that needs to change get more and more painful, that's when people move into the next stage of change. So that's why we call it awareness raising. So either the consequences get more painful or that they start to realize, I, I mean, whether it's emotional or physical or relational pain, that's what moves people into actually thinking, maybe I should change this. The comfort zone does not move anyone into change. No, no, that's why it's not a growth mindset. A really important thing is the distance between the work that needs to be done and the finish line. So me climbing Mount Everest is just so astronomically far away that I might as well be joining NASA to go land on Pluto. Like that's just as far away, metaphorically. Like that's just not going to happen in this lifetime and probably any other lifetime. It's just not going to be a thing. Uh, but me uh, learning a new therapy intervention, that's incredibly doable. That's something that I like to do. Um, that's something that I feel like I need to do to continue improving as a therapist. That is a doable goal. To, and it feels like a doable goal to, to me as well. So something that prevents people from moving out of pre-contemplation is just the idea that something is so far away that uh, A, it's not in their awareness, um, or B, that maybe it's been brought to their awareness before, but it just feels so outlandishly undoable or so uh, terribly uncomfortable to do, like me running a marathon, that they're just, why bother? Why even think about it? Mm -hmm. something, just to right. point out, oh, something just to point out too, real quick, is this idea too of um, when we're talking about stages of change, we don't necessarily need to we aren't necessarily saying like, you have to always be doing actions like pre-contemplation isn't okay. Now I have to go do this. Right. It can also be the idea of, I guess I'll now be opened up to this experience. Right. I guess I'll now, maybe my change is that I'm now more open to these different things, whether it be, um, I'm now open to the idea of when my family goes running, I can let them know. No. Right. That can be a, a, uh, a change that happens. Maybe in the past, you were like, I'm going to avoid the topic. I'm going to pretend like I'm sick. I'm going to do this. You know, when we're talking about change, it's not just, I'm going to go and do this. And I'm now going to be that kind of a person. Pre-contemplation can be, I'm going to feel more comfortable to decide if I want to be open to the experience. If I want to be open to this, like change of self, not just change of, I'm going to now be a runner. I think a lot of people say like, okay, stage of change only happens if I want to go be something. Sometimes stage of change means I want to have this experience, right? Whether it be opening up to, yeah, experiences of setting a boundary for dating, setting a boundary for activities, you know, maybe I'm not going to just go out and do it a hundred percent, but I'm going to say, Hey, if the opportunity arrives, I'm going to be more available to do those kinds of things. And that's where I'm pre-contemplating what I like to, or would I not? Am I okay where I'm at? Right. Well, and I, I really um, love to this idea that Taylor said about how the distance from the goal can sometimes keep us really stuck because a couple things that can help is when you partner with somebody who knows how to get the goal done, right? Like if somebody came to Taylor and said, Hey, I have a helicopter and I'm just going to Mount Everest and you can come for free. What, you know, all you have to do is like take the week off work. Suddenly it feels more doable to Taylor. And he's like, a helicopter? Yes, I can get in a helicopter. Week off work, I got to make some plans, but it it changes. And so when you partner with somebody who can help you, it feels better. And so that's one of the reasons that you'll see even in 
you know, the drama triangle model, which is a model we've talked about, you have to have a coach and a support system with these change processes. If someone wants to start a GoFundMe to send me to Everest on that plane. Oh boy. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't do that. None of us Better should to... send you to Everest. <laughs> Like, can we not? I have feel it? like you if would hit your head wants, on the mountain. I'm not saying that. I was going to say, if going to start that, for the love, please don't. Send your money on better charities. Think of Rachel, okay? <laughs> for Rachel, we won't do it. <laughs> uh, for your children who need you to stop the car so you buckle up. That's no, no one should send Taylor to any sort of activity like that. I'm an inside dad as my Walking to the car <laughs> is hard enough for the man. You watch me every day climbing the stairs. The weight of age is upon you. It is. Uh, no. Oh, but I, I think so. We're not going to go into the other stages. We're going to break them up into parts because we love prolonging things. Also, we also, we really don't want to make you sit here through the whole thing. So going from pre-contemplation the next stage though that we'll be talking about next time is contemplation Look at take the, off the pre. pre yes um so we'll be talking about contemplation um next time and hope you join us and if you don't think about it <laughs> think about it Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We would love to hear from you.